As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I am going to be recapping the Oklahoma City Thunder's last game against the Charlotte Hornets, their upcoming game against the Detroit Pistons tonight, and where the Thunder stand in this whole Western Conference playoff situation. On top of that, guys, I want to talk about Chet Holmgren and his latest comments, sort of, on his injury, what to actually make of all of that. And then I also want to recap the Oklahoma City Blues regular season campaign. They are done for the year. So I want to break down kind of how their season went and then some of the top performers that stood out to me throughout the year. Getting into the action though, guys, I mean, the Western Conference has been cutthroat really throughout the regular season. But obviously, as you get into the closing segments of the year, you start to see teams kind of weed out of the mix. Teams are going to start falling down, might be looking for ping pong balls. That hasn't happened this year. In particular, it has not happened in the Western Conference. If you take a look at the overall landscape of the West, and it has been closer. If you would have checked with me a week ago, we're talking maybe a game and a half separating about seven different seeds here. But you look at the Phoenix Suns, currently they are 40-35 and on the year, 11 games back of the grand prize, number one seed held by the Denver Nuggets. But in all reality, as long as you are 4-6, through you're a winner in this little mashup of teams. The Nuggets are at 1, the Grizz are at 2, and the Kings are at 3. Not much movement expected between those three. Maybe the Kings and Grizzlies could swap around. All three are separated by three games, but with about seven games to go, I guess anything could happen there, but they're locked. There's really no way they're going to slide down uh, to the 4 through 11 and even 12 range. And, and that's where it gets a little scary for some of these teams. The Suns, 11 games behind the Nuggets. And then you look down to the Jazz, they're 16 games back. So there's a 5-game difference between 4 and 12. And once you kind of get up into the 6 range where the Warriors are, that would be the final team that actually just makes it into the playoffs, no play-in whatsoever. There's just a 4-game difference between those two. And you chop the Jazz off, go to 11 with the Dallas Mavericks. They are only 2.5 games away from the Warriors at 6. So most of these teams either have 6, 7, or 8 games remaining on the schedule. So it is going to be crazy seeing how these final one or two weeks kind of cap off here. But for the Oklahoma City Thunder, they entered yesterday's game in a perfect position to make a stand out west. Tied for ninth, half a game back from seventh. You're going up against a team in the Charlotte Hornets who have been falling. I believe they're fourth right now in reverse standings. Uh, But not just that, but they're also battle-scarred. LaMelo Ball, out for the remainder of the regular season. Terry Rozier, not playing. Gordon Hayward, not playing. Those are three stud guys for the Hornets to where they're fielding a starting unit of Teo Maladon, Svima Hailuk, Bryce McGowans, P.J. Washington, and Nick Richards. It's not a bad unit, but 
it does have some resemblance to what OKC Thunder were rolling out a couple seasons ago, where you had Moses Brown dropping 21 points and 23 rebounds on the Boston Celtics. Jalen Horde dropping double doubles for seven games in a row last year. And I'll just say this about Jalen. He's been killing it overseas. I don't know if you guys kind of pay attention uh, to what goes on in Euro Cup play, but he has been beasting. He had a potential contract in the NBA this year, but it wasn't guaranteed. He took his chances over in Israel, and he has been dominant. So shout out to him. But just like those sort of examples where a lot of these rosters, uh, and in particular the Hornets one, last night had a lot of immaturity on the roster, lots of young guys, and not a lot of guys that have experience in the starting rotation. Out of these, you have P.J. Washington and you have Nick Richards. The other three kind of thrown in there. Uh, And for the Thunder, no SGA. He's a late scratch, but that's about it. Obviously, Chet's not playing, but Isaiah Joe, Lou Dort, Josh Giddy, J-Dub, and Jalen Williams, J-Will, they're ready to go. And they're ready to pick up a crucial win. For the Thunder, I mean, they are pedal to the metal right now in terms of standings. You need to put up or shut up. And this is a perfect game going up against a team such as the Charlotte Hornets. But you get into action, and it's kind of a back-and-forth jousting match. No one really had control of the game through the first quarter. Oklahoma City was able to make a couple short runs, but they still were down through one. They were down 26 to 23 Josh Giddy was the man of the hour though 11 points and five rebounds in the first for the Hornets PJ Washington was beasting around the basket he had seven points but that's about all you were looking at kind of a spread out attack for the Charlotte Hornets OKC they need to find something outside of Josh Giddy in quarter number two and they find that big time with a 45 point quarter Take a double-digit lead going into halftime. Who else to do it except for J-Dub? And guys, I say it every podcast. I said whenever he got drafted and even before the draft process, you have a steal in J-Dub. Doesn't matter if it's at 12, but like he clearly had the talent of a lottery guy and he wasn't being respected as one. Obviously now, if you talk to people, they're going to say, oh yeah, I was high on him. Show me the receipts, please. But anyways, I mean, he's been killing it. There's a real chance. Um, I, I think he's probably two when all the results come out for Rookie of the Year, but maybe he might steal a ballot or two for number one for Rookie of the Year. He's just been so efficient. And when you drop 17 points in a quarter on five of six shooting, six of six in the foul line, you're going to start to see some people look your way. So he took over in about nine minutes a run there, and Isaiah Joe was right behind him scoring 10 points of his own in the second quarter. He was perfect, 4 of 4 from the field. So you just have this offensive attack that Charlotte cannot combat. They don't really have that true shot creator when you don't have guys like LaMelo or Terry in there. So they're just looking everywhere. I mean, Svee had 7 in the second quarter. PJ had 7 as well. Honestly, this Hornets team, just looking at it face value, if they were going to win this game, you're thinking they're going to have to work kind of inside out because P.J. Washington's pretty good, and Nick Richards has just been stellar. Like, I don't think people realize this. He was in the G League bubble a couple seasons ago where Moses Brown and Yurt Seven were kind of headlining. He was going toe-to-toe with those guys, and he was kind of the underrated gym. I don't think people really talked about him enough, but seeing him on this stage, he's playing the same way, and he's yielding the same results. So shout-out to him. 
uh, but he really didn't have much going on in the first half. OKC, they really had this one, and it seemed like it was going to remain their way when you're talking about an 11-point advantage. And they kind of kept on that in the third quarter, remaining above double digits really throughout the frame. And even though there was a late surge by the Hornets, you're still looking pretty good going into the fourth quarter. Josh Giddy was going again. He had 10 points again in the third quarter. So you're thinking, who's really going to source the offense for the Hornets to where they're going to take away this basketball game? And the answer was P.J. Washington. He dropped 22 points in the fourth quarter for the Charlotte Hornets, 8 of 11 from the field. And OKC still has shot creators. Everybody's still kind of getting their numbers, but when you just have that constant attack, eventually you're going to start to wear down. So you go from being on this high horse, being up, you know, double digits for a fair amount of this game to just not. I mean, simply put, there was an amazing surge by the Hornets to where they were able to string up a double-digit lead in their own right, like a 20-point swing in about 10 minutes of gameplay. Middle of the fourth quarter, it looks like the Hornets just have this thing. They're up 13. And OKC starts chopping back down. They start to get some things going their way. And they get the opportunity a couple times to find a way somehow to retake this game. And at worst-case scenario, you're going to tie this basketball game up. We're just going to zoom inside the final 15 seconds of this game. Jalen Williams goes to the foul line down to 134 to 132. Misses the first free throw, hits the second. So one point game. And you just start the fouling game. JT Thor splits a pair of free throws. That's great. Two point game. JRE gets the defensive rebound. And Josh Giddy gets fouled. Slash into the basket. Two free throws to tie this game. Take it to overtime. Splits the pair of free throws. OKC still trails by a point. On the other end, intentional foul. Sfi hits two free throws. OKC throws up a prayer. J-Dubs three-point shot doesn't go, and that's basketball game. Charlotte Hornets win 137-134 in a stunner. And the implications rattle deep. I mean, now they're 10th out west. You have the Dallas Mavericks kind of knocking on your door there at the 11th seed, and the Utah Jazz, they've kind of fallen out a little bit, but they're still there at 12. You know, you can't take um, any of these games just as gimmies, as you saw in Tuesday's effort. So OKC dropped to 37-39 and 39 with this one. But there's still a lot of good takes from this game. They just didn't close the deal out. And the first thing is just the scoring. I mean, insane scoring outbursts. Three separate players for the Thunder end up dropping 30 pieces. Third time that has happened in franchise history. You have J-Dub drop 31. Isaiah Joe, 33 points, 11 of 18. Josh Giddy, 31 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. You have that just trio, but nobody else is really able to generate efficient offense. Dort had 16, went 4 of 10 from the field. That's about all. So you're kind of looking at those three, and then Dort as that kind of fourth guy. Charlotte Hornets, they just had a really narrow rotation, eight-man rotation. This is the stuff we saw last year from the Thunder to close the season out. But when P.J. Washington's dropping a career-high 44 
or 43 points, excuse me, you're going to have a chance, especially when he's shooting 16 of 24 around the basket. Nick Richards, 6 of 9 around the basket, 14 points, 11 rebounds. Just furious attacks around the paint. And other guys chipped in too. I mean, your former Thunder guys. Teo Maladone, 19 points and 9 assists. Svi, 18 points and 8 assists. Only guy who didn't drop double figures for the Hornets was James Booknight. Go figure. Because, uh, you know, everybody in the Thunder circles thought Booknight was going to the Thunder at 6. Didn't happen. But just wacky. Wacky basketball game that the Thunder just fall on the other side on. I saw some complaints about how Mark Dagnalt was utilizing the um, kind of depth chart to close this game out. You know, there's high stakes to this game. He's he's throwing guys like Pogoshevsky, Jared Butler in the game. Uh, when, you know, you're kind of trying to, if you're trying to win the game, probably want to keep your guys out there. Uh, so there were some kind of gripes about that. Um, but... I mean, just a hard-fought game that, unfortunate, when you kind of ended on your own accord missing shots at the free-throw line. But it puts them in a spot now where they really need to win tonight's game against the Detroit Pistons. You got Teo Maladone with his uh, revenge game, if you will. Now you get Eugene Omaruyi with a potential revenge game. He has inked a two-year contract with the Detroit Pistons, so he's going to be looking to make some noise. But OKC Thunder, they're looking to make noise too now. They are still looking to claim a play-in or playoff spot to continue their season. Continuing along, though, guys, I want to talk about Chet Holmgren and his little message on Twitter. Kind of the overall reaction and then my take on everything. So Chet Holmgren um, put on his Instagram, excuse me, just free seven. That's all it was. And it sparked a reaction because he just hasn't played in a while. I think that just social media sometimes can cause crazy stirs. And when you're working as a media member, you're working as, you're just a big fan. Like, things like that can just be major, you know. And when Chet put this on his Instagram, I think just about every source was just screenshotting it and putting it on their Twitter page. I mean, that's all I got on my Twitter page for about an hour uh, in the aftermath of that. And obviously, you know, if you're media, you can report stuff like that. You can send that stuff out. It is going to spark stuff within the fan base, and that it did. Um, But is there really much to take out of it? Personally, I don't think so. You know, when Chet had his season-ending Liz Franck injury... It was made clear he wasn't playing for the remainder of the season. Like, he wasn't playing at all. There was a press release sent out before the season started, and it was all about rehab. Chet looks to be good. I mean, you're starting to see footage of him in practices, like, actually working out, actually having some sort of contact, Uh, whereas, you know, that was a pipe dream to start the season. But I don't think he's, you know, necessarily 100% ready to get on the court, and he very well could be. He very well could be, but do you want to risk that as a front office? Do you want to risk that for what is currently going on? I think the answer is no, and people were complaining about, you know, why are you guys throwing subs in? Mark, you know, why are you doing that, coach? Are you trying to tank? Are you trying to do this? Are you trying to do that? 
I think the answer to that is no. I think you're just kind of following the game plan, and that is how it is. But let's say that's what they're going for. Let's say for whatever reason, they're just throwing play-in scenarios out the window. They're looking to tank. Why would you put Shed in back seven games of the year? He potentially gets injured. It just doesn't make sense. So staying to that routine is big. I mean, we're seeing now, especially with load management, like it is scheduled out through the entire year how to manage these guys properly. It's a different type of game now compared to maybe 15, 20 years ago. Rest days are a thing that just happen commonly now. Uh, So to kind of go from that where you're managing just overall rest to, you know, a Liz Franck injury, you don't want to put him back in action for a week or two and then potentially see him get re-injured. Give him the summer to rehab. It's probably what they're going through. I'm sure Chet and his management have been on the same page the entire year. Don't think of it much at all, uh, to be quite honest with you. I'm excited. I think everybody's excited to see Chet reunited with this team. And really, when you look at it, like J-Dub has had the value of a top five pick, probably a top three pick in this draft. Chet hasn't played yet, but he's kind of coming in as that fresh-faced rookie anyway. So you're getting a a top three rookie for next year's class, just given how things work. He's a rookie next year. He's going to be up for rookie of the year. That's a top three prospect easily going into next season. So you get that, but you also have a first-round pick that should be around lottery range. We'll see how things shake out to close the year. But you get a secondary lottery pick. So you're already going to get major, major pieces to rebuild with this team in the future. Just keep moving. Stay part of the course. And you're going to see some big-time benefits going into next season. Basically acquiring two lottery picks again. You got three last year. But we'll 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 move Chet over to this one. You got Usman. And you got J-Dub. Now you get Chet and whoever you select in the upcoming 2023 draft. So that's just kind of my spin. Really good future here. I've heard the conversation over and over again. I mean, the Oklahoma City Thunder has the best future outlook, just given their current array of talent and then their overall draft picks. Next five years, do they have the best roster? Maybe not. But overall future, I would say yes. I think they they definitely are atop the ranks. And with Coach Dagnall at the helm, I think he's done a really good job. I've even heard people saying, hey, if they go 41-41, and 41, maybe even give them a Coach of the Year vote. If they're able to make the playoffs, give them Coach of the Year. Just the advancement that has been made in the last couple seasons has been ridiculous, and it's going to continue to trend upwards uh, with this team. Some of those guys played with the Oklahoma City Blue this year. Plenty of different call-ups have been made throughout the league and throughout Bricktown. Luckily for them, it's literally like a mile away. Whenever I was writing at SI Thunder, I did some posts on just distances between G League teams and their affiliates. OKC, number one. I mean, it's really not a bad bad drive at all because the only drive really is the practice facility for the Blue. They play in the Paycom Center. So it's 0.0 miles between the Thunder games and the Paycom, uh, or the Blue games, excuse me. The talent there has been good. The last couple seasons, it's always been good. Um, 
there's a lot of different factors that came in this year that I think we have not seen in years past. The previous, I'd say, two seasons, so we'll say the bubble season, and then last year, you kind of had some key fixtures to the team. Xavier Simpson and Rob Edwards stuck around, and you also had Jalen Horde who stuck around. So those guys were key cogs that you could kind of build around, and they did that the last two seasons. Guys like Moses Brown and Omer Yurt 7 were there year one. They moved on to other teams. Brown gets dealt around. Omer Yurt 7 lands in Miami, and you get a guy in Olivier Saar who does a pretty good job in their footsteps. Kind of same archetype. He's gone. Now going into this year, you don't have Xavier Simpson. You don't have Rob Edwards. Even guys like Justin Jaworski go overseas. It's just a clean slate that you're working with. And I think they did a good job. I mean, they traded for Jamias Ramsey last season, and they were able to keep him. They kept DJ Wilson. But the regular season was just a whole different animal. They didn't qualify for the Winter Showcase Cup this season. They were second place last year. And now they get in the regular season play, and you're kind of battle-scarred. Jemias Ramsey is hurt. DJ Wilson is playing sparingly, gets hurt, and then gets traded to the Lakeland Magic at the trade deadline. And Scotty Hobson also gets hurt. So everybody's kind of falling throughout the year to where their regular season really had two separate teams on it. Abdul Gaddy was the main point guard when Ramsey wasn't there. Once Ramsey was back, it gets shifted. He's back on the bench. Jaden Shackelford went from like a seventh man to like the score whenever Ramsey was out and whenever guys were up on assignment. Adam Akoka was a primetime player. He was playing starting small forward minutes. Scotty Hobson was also starting. And then when DJ Wilson was gone, they really didn't even have a center because Jay Will was playing so well, he wasn't playing in the G League anymore. They had to sign Noah Starkey off of waivers to play starting five, and then they got rid of him. Uh, I, there's a lot of dynamics that go into uh, the back end of G League rosters, but basically, you can waive people. You're not re-signing them to $40,000 contracts. The G League signs everybody to these salaries, and then with that, the teams can just acquire them. So you're, you're not repaying them over and over again. That has been a point of discussion before. You didn't have... You know, guys getting contract after contract when they're getting waived and re-signed, you know, every couple of days. Uh, technically, the word is acquired. But you got Starkey acquired. They got rid of him. And then he gets taken by another team. So they, they didn't have him anymore. Um, and they just had to kind of wait for guys to get healthy again. So Robert Woodard second was playing starting five. Sock, Sasha Calais Jones was playing starting five minutes when he had been hurt a lot of the year. So you never really got this team at full health. And I think that kind of showed in their overall record. They ended up finishing the season with 13 wins and 19 losses on the year. So they were not able to crack the G League playoffs. They only take the top eight. So it's a tough, tough threshold to meet. Uh, But simply put, they just were not able to get there this season. So I kind of want to break down just some of the top guys from the team. First, I'll go into the overall stats. And years prior, they've been dominant on the glass. They were just that again this year. They were fourth in rebounds at 46.4. Assist-wise, top 10 in the league, they were eighth with 26.3. But that didn't lead to a lot of points. 
They ranked in the bottom third in points, 24th in the league at 111.2 points per game. I think a lot of it just comes into the different roster pieces that came in, came out. Olivier Saar was there for like a couple games. He's gone. Yuji Nomaruyi was around for a little bit. Gone. Lindy Waters, kind of the same thing. And you were just moving guys on the two-way deals around, and then even on assignment, you're seeing guys get shifted, and Jared Butler to close the year was even getting time. So even though it just seems like minuscule transactions, this has a pretty big impact because guys like Ryan Woolridge basically didn't get to play the rest of the season. Chason Randall, who was their starting point guard in the bubble season, wasn't playing because you had Jared Butler. You had Jemias Ramsey. It's just overloaded with backcourt guys to where not everybody can get a taste of the court. Abdul Gaddy, too. You can't forget about him. I mean, his assist to turnover ratio has been ridiculous his entire G League career. So, I don't think everybody kind of had their assigned roles. If there was one guy who stayed consistent the whole year, it'd probably be Jaden Shackelford, but it was just the role itself. Like, he could have been starting one day on the bench the next. I don't think there was a, a surefire starter on this team outside of maybe DJ Wilson when he was healthy or Jemias Ramsey when he was healthy as well. I think Ramsey was the best player on paper for this roster. He ended up averaging 21.4 points per game, which ranks 13th in the G League this season. Shot 50% from the field, 35.2% from three, and about 80% from the line. He's a shot creator, and everybody knows he can buy a bucket whenever he needs to. Still a young guy, born in 2000. The question with him has always been is he gonna unlock kind of that more playmaking ability because a lot of these dudes in the G League can get buckets Ramsey can get buckets like not a lot of guys can but with his size you kind of have to be able to take that backseat role but also play make you're kind of looking at a shot creator type guy and there are a lot of them in the G League Rob Edwards being one of them Jaden Shackelford could even be one I'd say more at the point guard position, a guy like Frank Jackson. And he's always been the guy that I compare players to. Now he's in the G League. He only got a 10-day deal this year. So it's a a very rough kind of cycle for some of these players. But Ramsey's talented. You know he has NBA talent there. It's just kind of leveling up and kind of getting gritty and, and improving in a couple different areas. But yeah, you can tell the last two seasons that you know, he's he should be in contention for two-way contracts somewhere. Is he the type of guy that Thunder would love? I think so, just in terms of our archetype, but they have so many. They have Isaiah Joe, they have Trey Mann now, who are kind of just like this. Shot creator, get you a bucket whenever you want. Uh, Ramsey's a lot more penetration heavy, but with guys like SGA and Josh Giddy there too, it's kind of cramped. Still a baller though. Behind him, I'd say Jaden Shackelford popped out. I saw a game against the Ignite where he was going for the record books. He had eight three-pointers made. That made him the seventh player in 66ers and blue history to record that many in a game. I believe the record is held by Markel Brown, who had nine in a game. But he was red hot. Nobody could handle him. And he just has a beautiful touch from distance. Basically, all he was asked to do this year was to find shots from distance. He shot 38.8%. 
on 8.43 point attempts. If he was a little bit taller, I think a team would have swooped him up. But he's 6'1", 6'2", he's basically a point guard, uh, but he operates as a 2. So, just like I'd say Rob Edwards from last year, like he has the abilities to make that jump. Is he going to give you production every single night? Probably not on the same efficiency, but he could definitely pop off. A lot of guys in this league, in the G League, can do that. But it's whether you can take it game in, game out, and you can also be efficient when you're that 15th man on the roster. Adam Akoka seemed to be the plug-and-play dude for them this season. He averaged 12.5 points, 5.1 rebounds, and 1.6 assists per game. Pretty solid defender. And really good around the basket as well. You really didn't see him unlock his third level of scoring. He was a little flaky from distance this season. But he was the glue guy around all these different rotations. Where I think at least on the defensive side of the ball. You could rely on him just a little bit. Guys like Chase on Randall came in and gave an extra punch. But they didn't have really long term minutes this season. I'd say guys like Robert Woodard probably had more of a role. Because... He was available for a majority of the games. He averaged 12.7 points and 7.1 rebounds per game. He's good around the basket. Very undersized, though, at 6'6". I don't know where he falls next year. He's been on the team for two seasons in a row now, uh, so there clearly has been interest. But his next destination would be of my interest because I am curious kind of where he goes with his current uh, kind of playing style. You saw flashes. J Dub or J Will, excuse me, walked in and had a triple double in his lone game of the regular season. Usman looked like a stud, averaged 17 points per game. Lindy made some appearances here and there. JRE had a couple games. And then you had Scotty Hobson whenever he was healthy, uh, just be that plug and play piece, just like Makoka was. And Hobson has been to so many different organizations. I wrote this, I made a mock blue media guide. I never really went anywhere, but he's played on more professional organizations than the Thunder's opening 15-man roster has. It might have updated now with all these trades with Sarge in the mix and such, but he has experience, and you can tell with how he plays. Just such a true professional. It's crazy how he never cracked the league outside of a couple 10-day contracts. Uh, but those are the main dudes I was looking at. A lot of the guys on this roster were just there for a couple games on assignment. Players like Saar, Pogoshevsky, etc. I don't know what this team will look like next season. We've started to kind of see the tendency, though, that players leave after their second year in a G League system to either chase deals overseas or remain in the G League with a different affiliate I'd say Jaden Shackelford's probably the dude you want to keep around just with his scoring ability. He's a very uh, great guy to just plug in with any of your assignees anyways. So I'd be vouching for that most definitely. But that's going to cap it for the Blues season. Haven't been able to crack the playoffs last couple years. They had a brutal finish in the G League bubble a couple seasons back. Top of the league looked like they, they were kind of the championship uh, front runners, and then they got on a losing streak, didn't work out. This year, it was a lot of ups and downs. They didn't have any insane winning streaks or losing streaks. It was kind of just back and forth you go, and they were on the wrong side of things here, but 
They're going to regroup, retool for next year. OKC has a very dedicated staff towards player development, towards scouting these guys out. They were very active in Exhibit 10 deals after the NBA draft last year. I'm sure they will again this season. But that will do it for their campaign, and that will do it for my coverage of the OKC Blue this season. That is going to do it for today's episode, though, guys. I thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.